Welcome to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age, the show designed to help make middle age your prime time of life by defying the notion that once you reach 40, 50, or even 60 years old, your crowning achievements are all behind you. Regardless of whether you're just approaching 40 or are firmly entrenched in your middle years, it's time to launch your very own personal journey toward a joyful and purpose-filled second half of life. Each week, host Roy Richards, an expert on midlife renewal and author of A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, will discuss the challenges common to middle age and help guide you to a brighter tomorrow. Now, here's Roy. Well, hello and welcome to this week's edition of M Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age and Happy New Year. And as we enter the new year, how would you like to change some of your behavior patterns and create better outcomes in your personal and or professional life. Perhaps you've made New Year's resolutions to improve certain aspects of your life, but you're far from certain on where to begin. The problem is that uh, thinking about making a major change, perhaps even a little one, often feels overwhelming, and it's so hard to know just where to start. And if you're facing this dilemma, I've got some great news for you. My first guest today, expert, problem solver, author, executive, and personal development and life coach, Peggy Caruso, is here with advice that can revolutionary your life in 60 seconds. And she will share strategies that can help you begin making positive changes in every area of your life, from relationships and parenting to health, personal development, even dealing with elderly loved ones. And before I introduce her, here are some of Peggy Caruso's outstanding qualifications. She's a certified executive and personal development coach. She's an eight-time entrepreneur and has authorized uh, four books, including the most recent one we'll be talking about today, Take the First Shot, Strategies to Fire You Up and Change Your Life. And she's been featured on Women's Radio, Word of Mom Radio, WHBC 90.3 in New York City, and Ask the Expert on WCED, in addition to executive and personal development. Peggy is an advanced NLP master practitioner and trainer and certifies qualified folks to become life coaches. And she's recognized as an expert in getting both children and adults off their depression medications, recognizing their issues, and helping them move forward in a positive direction. And hello, Peggy Caruso. Welcome to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age. Well, hello, and thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, in the tagline to your book promotion, you tell us that a person can revolutionary uh, revolutionize your life in 60 seconds. This sounds to me like a pretty tall order. Can you perhaps uh, give us a few thoughts on what a listener might do uh, within the next minute to possibly transform his or her life? I sure can. In executive and personal development coaching, you know, everybody wants a quick fix. And you and I and all the listeners out there know that you can't solve a major problem in less than a minute, but it takes a minute to take a technique or a strategy to move you in the right direction. You know, once you decide to make that goal, if you can put it in manageable bite-sized pieces, then you can reach that goal. And I can give you tips on any of those areas that you talked about, whether it's 
you know, relationships or weight loss, uh, smoking cessation, elderly, any of those things, there's always something you can do. And when you take a small step, it's a motivator to keep it going to reach the long-term goals. Yeah, it's so uh, crucial that you uh, separate taking steps toward a solution with obtaining an instantaneous solution. I think so many people give up too quickly simply because within a short period of time they don't reach that uh, perfect result, even though they could be uh, feeling very good about striving over time with a plan to achieve it. That's so very true. Let's. Uh, do you want me to give you an example? Yeah, that would be great. Okay, um, I'll use um, like weight loss or smoking because it, it, the New Year is coming upon us, and everybody's reaching out to me and saying, "How do I set a New, New Year's goal?" Weight loss is what we uh, resolve to do every year. <laughs> it is, and everybody stops because they make it too hard for themselves. So. One of the things I find in weight loss, like uh, people will come to me that have gone through major programs out there and they lose the weight, but they gain it back. You gain it back because of the way that your mind works and your thought process. So an example would be people stand on that scale every day and check their weight. And say you feel really good as you start uh, achieving your goal, and there could be many things that fluctuate your weight, like water weight or you know, you know, something you ate or inflammation and people yeah. get discouraged and then they stop their goal. But if you put a sticky note on your scale with the weight that you want to be and that's what you step on every day and look at, you're training your mind to head toward that goal. Oh, that's, that's a good idea. So when we start acting on solving our problems rather than merely fretting over them, uh, we will be, as you call it, revolutionized even before the... Uh, problem solution is uh, finalized. Can you please begin by defining what you mean by the term revolutionize? How do we revolutionize ourselves? It's, it revolutionize means to make a positive change. And so, like I said a little bit ago, if you set your goal so high, and that it's, it, then it becomes non-attainable. Uh, smoking is another example. You know, people say, okay, just, uh, you know, hypnotize me or do this and I'll just quit smoking. But if you just... <laughs> Use visual aids like lay your cigarettes out and stare at them, and look at how many you smoke <laughs> Not a day. Not very and pleasant take... sight, <laughs> especially if you lay day. out the uh, the one the burn cigarettes in your ashtray. <laughs> That's even but if less you pleasant. if you start taking one away a day and and. It's doable, and then you incorporate other things like like time. Like if you don't smoke at your job and you realize that you're smoking a half a pack from 4 o'clock when you leave until 8 o'clock when you're done for the evening, that's a lot of cigarettes in those hours. Yeah, and if you can tolerate the whole day in your job without smoking, you can certainly tolerate four hours in the evening avoiding it when you think about it. (laughs) You absolutely can, yes. Well, the subtitle of your latest book, Take the First Shot, is Strategies to Fire You Up and Change Your Life. Uh, To whet our appetite a bit more, you gave us, I think, uh, the example of smoking, but can you uh, maybe summarize one or two uh, of these strategies that we might use to uh, change our lives? I have a a cute one. It's uh, for some women out there that come in and, so um, in relationships, as you know, um, say you start out in the beginning and your spouse does five really amazing things like open the car door, send you flowers, 
you know, buy you a card, and then the next year one falls off, and what do people say? They say, but he still does four things. And then pretty soon you're down to nothing, and the spark is gone. So I had a woman walk in. I said, change your lipstick. Yeah. And she just looked at me, and I said, you know what? We all, me included, you get comfortable. You work all day. You're executive. You come home. You want to put something really comfortable on. And a lot of men will come in and say, my wife used to wear lipstick and makeup, and all, and now when she gets home, she doesn't really take yeah, care of herself. She doesn't care what she looks like. She doesn't care about me. <laughs> exactly. So if you do one small change, like change your lipstick. You know, get a new hairdo. Uh-huh. Yeah, there's so many things you can do. I have 100 strategies in my book, whether it's friendship, elderly, health, you know, personal development, work-life balance. There's always a step you can take in less than a minute. And there's actually, you can use multiple ones, and you can do them constantly because they're easy. Yeah, and and the promotion on your website, you advise that your book, Take the First Shot, is designed to help readers in four key areas of life. What are these four areas? Well, it's relationships, of course, because relationships can be spouse, friendships, any of those things. Your health, because if you don't have your health, you don't have anything else. Um, Work-life balance is absolutely huge and personal development. So within those comes, you know, like the elderly care and all those. That's part of relationships. Yeah. And, and that balance of career and family obligations, I don't know how anyone can have a really great home life and yet hate their work and not bring the pressures of the day home to impact the evening with a spouse and kids. I would think that would be very Absolutely. hard. Absolutely. A lot of people need to stop doing technology. Like I always say, one of the, the cute hooks I use is invite yourself to dinner. In other sure. words, when you get home from work, Leave work at work and shut your phone off and invite yourself to dinner. Sit down with your family and really communicate verbally without the technology. Huge. Yeah, I think so few of us do that. You go to a restaurant these days and you see the kids sitting there with their little laptops and iPhones, totally ignoring what the parents are doing. Absolutely. And I'm sure that probably also happens at home, but... uh, well, from your resume and website profile, you appear to be highly successful and positive with so many wonderful relationships. But in your book's introduction, you reveal that this was not always the case. Will you please tell our listeners about some of the extreme hardships you experienced as a young adult and equally important, how you were able to recover emotionally and go on to become the successful author, professional development, and life coach that you are today. How did, how are you able to do it? Well, like I said, it wasn't always easy. People look at me now and say, well, you know, you don't understand. You, you're very successful. I said it wasn't always that way. There was a time where uh, I raised my kids by myself financially, emotionally, everything, and I was making wow. minimum wage. And so sometimes you had to decide, toothpaste deodorant, which one do I buy? And I had some abusive relationships. I lost my life savings. My sister took her life. My father died a terrible death. So I've been through a lot of really hard, hard times, and I wouldn't trade it for anything because it pushed me towards success and to motivate me to, I'm going to turn my life around. I'm going to be a great, you know, uh, financial thing for my children and for myself. And it was those hardships, they're only failures if you don't get back up. But sometimes when we go through those hard things, we really appreciate uh, the ability to motivate ourselves towards 
success. No, I really marvel at the, the statement in your book that looking back, I would never change any adversity. It makes me who I am. And, and most people I don't think are able to do that. But uh, what really uh, positives do you take out of that crushing uh, financially challenged interlude of your life? And uh, how did you do it? And is it something that other people can accomplish? Well, I started, as I do everything, is incrementally. So when I had a job, I thought, I'm going to start a side job. Oh. And I became like a financial um, agent and a um, a notary through the, the United States so that I could um, do different, like a signing agent. And so I started oh a side job. And yeah. then I worked my way up the corporate ladder, and then one day I quit a job making a a lot of money and started a restaurant that I knew nothing about. But I knew that I could do it because I've always done vision boards and I've always said, I'm going to, I've used positive affirmations, I'm going to be this, I'm going to accomplish this. And I work toward it. It's not like I just say those things and then don't work and put it into action. No, that's for sure. That Taking that action is, is so important. Let's talk a little bit about your book, Take the First Shot. How did you come up with a title and what is the book's connection to basketball? <laughs> I like that. Well, um, everybody that who comes to me, like a lot of the parents and, and even corporate people, they just say, like, fix it or tell me how to fix it. And, they, they, every, and I talk to the media and they're like, okay, give me an example really quick. And I got thinking that everybody wants a quick fix, but you can't. I used to say you can't fix anything really quick, but I realized that you can start you can make positive steps, and once you take one step, then you take two, then you take three, then you take four. And so I actually was always – I one thing that I say all the time is like, you know, fire that shot and do that. And, and I really don't think fire the shot is a, probably in today's society a good title. So take the shot is like basketball. Like you – you know the strategy of the game, and sometimes it's just that one shot that you can take to make all the difference in the game. Yeah, once you make that shot, you really feel like you belong and you're in the game. And that, uh, you have the uh, skill and the aggressiveness to uh, contribute something, and then, of course, you got to play with your other teammates to get anything done, but uh, it makes a world of difference when you take that first shot and, and sink the basket. And it also makes a difference when you make a three-pointer. I mean, yeah. that's like, wow, I'm doing leaps and bounds. That's your quantum leap, you know? And also, I like how you say, you know, you may take one small step on the basketball court that frees you up to take the shot so that you always should be looking for opportunities. That's exactly right. Well, uh, so that we better understand uh, our behavioral patterns uh What's the book's primary purpose, Take the First Shot? What what are we trying to do by reading it? I'm trying to get people to have faith to understand that you do have that power within you to make a difference in your personal and professional life by taking that one step. And I give over 100 strategies so you can take more than one step. And then you can take bigger steps and reach bigger goals. Yeah, that, that's for sure. Well, each of the book's chapters offer tools for resolving issues in various areas of our life. For example, Chapter 1, Ebb and Flow of Relationships. Can you please give us a sample of some of the other chapter titles in the area uh, that they cover? 
Sure. Um, I have the next one is um, relative to parents. It's it's parenting because um, I do a lot of, um, you know, I have a lot of children that I coach and families. And so there's that. There's a, a chapter on friendship. There's a chapter on health. There's a chapter on work-life balance. Um, on personal development and friendships, and the last one is um, some personal stories that are relative to gratitude and love and strength. Yeah, I love that. But, uh, well, where is the best place for listeners to go to preview and purchase your book, Take the First Shot? It's available on, on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble, and you can also go to my website. I also offer a lot of free information off of my website, it's lifecoachingandbeyond.com. Yeah, you've got your revolutionized podcast. You can uh, the listener can access there too, and that web address once again is what? Well, give us your web address so that www.lifecoachingandbeyond.com. Yeah, that that will get you there. I tried it and it worked. <laughs> <laughs> Well, as we conclude this segment, please ask yourself this question, and no one needs to see the answer but you. <laughs> Were my life to end at this very moment, would I be able to say without question that my life made a positive difference, if on no one else, at least on my spouse and my children? And next, bring to mind the most common solutions in your life where something goes wrong. And do you exhaust every effort to analyze what you have done wrong, how to relieve or improve the present situation, and how to do better the next time? And after every setback, do you concentrate on a positive plan of action rather than blaming yourself or others, bad luck or someone else, and stressing out about how bad things are today? And explained so ably by my guest, Peggy Caruso, your focus on searching for solutions and envisioning a brighter tomorrow can revolutionize both your personal and your professional life, even before the final results are in, and is an excellent resource to accomplishing your very own positive makeover. I highly recommend you preview and purchase Peggy's latest book, Take the First Shot, and I also recommend you visit Peggy's website, uh, lifecoachingandbeyond.com, for helpful additional resources, including some great podcasts, and a fresh outlook on the present and the future is a wonderful way to start the new year, and thank you, Peggy Carusi. Caruso, Happy New Year, and best of success with your book, your life coaching, and all that you do. Thank you so much, and thank you for having me as a guest, and Happy New Year to you as well. Well, as we approach a new year, for many of us, it's a time of new beginnings, out with the old, in with the new, but I'd be willing to bet that few of any of you have experienced the new beginning of my next guest, John Curl. You see, John Curl not long ago came back from a near-death experience, and John's heart stopped, and he actually was gone from life for a full 10 seconds. But that's only part of the story. John Curl came back to the living with a new resolve that his mission on Earth was far from over. As he tells it, a near-death experience made me realize that I needed to publish my book. And that book is his wonderful new novel titled The Outlaws of Maroon. And John is here to tell us about his near-death experience and the message it gave him, and also to preview for us his new book. 
a bit about John Curl. He's author of two novels, a memoir, history, poetry, and translations of ancient Maya, Aztec, and Quechua poets. He has a degree in literature from New York City College and is a member of Penn Oakland and the San Francisco Revolutionary Poets Brigade and a former professional woodworker. John resides in Berkeley in the San Francisco Bay Area. And hello, John Carroll. Welcome to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age. Hi, Roy. Good to talk to you today. Well, to begin, we'd like to hear more about your near-death experience. When and where did it occur, and was it sudden and unexpected, perhaps from an accident, or did it follow a lengthy illness? What, what was the deal, deal on that? No, it was not a lengthy illness. Um, uh, I, uh, I, I had just been feeling weak, and so I, uh, oh. I, I called Kaiser, and they told me to come over, and uh, uh, they told me that um, uh, the lower chamber of my heart was not working properly, and I, I needed a, a pacemaker. Oh. So um, I, uh, I had one uh, installed and, uh, that, that evening, that night, and uh, went home, and uh, I felt... Uh, uh, I felt sick again. I felt oh. uh, I felt weak and sick. So I called them back, and uh, they they took me back there. It turned out the pacemaker wasn't working. Oh, I see. They um uh, they uh, they uh, you know they have with these they have a technologist who you know who, uh, who tests these things on on machines, and uh, so the technologist went through this test of uh, of turning off the upper chamber of my heart so they could see exactly what was happening in the lower chamber of my heart. Oh, I see. So and, uh, but when they you... did that, uh, everything went black. Huh. Uh, you wow. know, all, all, of, all of a sudden, I was no longer in the room. I, I went through what felt like a, a black tunnel, and I came out the other side into this dream world. Oh, wow. And, uh, and I was just, you know, it, was, it, 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 it looked like, uh, in a sense, kind of like a kid's painting. It just had... Uh, a landscape painting. It just it just had oh, like a um, you know rolling green hills and a blue sky, and I was just in this place, and it wasn't yeah. a it wasn't a, a scary place. It was just a different place, and then all of a sudden, I went black again, and I felt like I was going back through a tunnel, oh. and uh, and there I was back in the uh, in the emergency room, and they oh, told wow. me that they had um that normally, usually people have about thirty percent. Uh, uh, in their in their lower heart chamber, but I had zero, so oh. I flatlined. For so in effect, seconds. you left your heart in San Francisco, but you returned to retrieve it. <laughs> right. It was just it was ten <laughs> seconds, and they uh, you know the the cardiologist said that that was not long enough to cause brain damage, oh. but uh, technically I was dead for ten seconds. It was it was a very uh, strange experience. But you uh, didn't follow the light like some near-death experiences. You went through a tunnel then. But the result of the it other felt end like of a the tunnel. tunnel. That's, that, huh? that's, what, that's just what it felt like. It was like I was, I was in this, this black tunnel, huh. totally black, and then there was like, a, you know, kind of an end to the tunnel, and I came out into this uh, dream. I thought I was just sleeping. I thought I had just kind yeah. of fallen asleep, uh, you know, the night before, and I was just in a you know, in the kind of dream worlds that you go into when you're when you're sleeping. So you, in effect, didn't hear an inner voice that said, "This is not your time." <laughs> no, you I, didn't, I didn't. I didn't uh, hear that. Uh, yeah. um, things, other things happened later on, and, and that was not the uh, 
the end of that experience because the uh, um, they they had a, a when they took took me upstairs into the operating room oh. and they um, uh, they were trying to figure out what was wrong and they couldn't figure out see, see when you when you in this kind of operation it's like being in the dentist chair they don't knock you out even though they're working on your heart oh yeah uh, you're just up there with a sheet over your head so you hear yeah. everything that wow. they're saying that's and, pretty uh, so scary. I, yeah, it was it was kind of scary, but you know, I mean, you can't. There's nothing you can do about it. So, you know, you can't jump up and say, you know, uh, you know, uh, I, I let me out of here. You know, so you just have to accept it. And they, um, uh, no, they it took them quite a while to figure out what was what was going on. And at one point, the cardiologist uh, said to the group, uh, um, "Does anybody have any ideas?" He had tried everything. He had run out of ideas. That's real so, comforting. Yeah, right. I thought I, liked, I was dead. I just accepted it. It was the last, last minutes of my life, oh, and so wow. I got myself ready for, for death. Yeah. So, Well, based on your new-death experience, what convinced you that you needed to publish your book, The Outlaws of Maroon? Well, I felt like it was, it was really a, it was a book that came to me. Just out of nowhere, I was sitting down to write something else, oh. and kind of just out of the blue, uh, this idea came based on uh, some childhood experiences that I had had in the 1950s during the Cold War, where I went to school. I, I, w- I was like the first generation who went to public school uh, after, the, after World War II, and that was, um, uh, it was the time of the beginning of the Cold War, the McCarthy era. Where, uh, Probably uh, only our most... Senior baby boomer listeners will remember that era, but that was quite an era. Uh, that was the era of Howdy Doody and the Captain Video, and the Army McCarthy hearings, and the House Un-American Activities Committee. It was a pretty scary. We'll talk a little about that when we talk about your book. But uh, let's talk about your post-near-death uh, mission. How much work, if any, remained for you to complete the book and get it published? And now that your book is published what are your current projects well i i had a first draft of it done uh, of the book and uh, yeah. uh be, before uh before i had this near death experience but it wasn't it wasn't finished you know how yeah. uh at least the way i write it's like telling a story uh over and over again you know when yeah. you kind of go over it and every time you uh every time you rewrite it you you know you understand it a little more deeply and I knew the book was not finished. It was. It was. There were some parts of it that were that were rough. Some parts were finished, and some parts were not. So when I, uh, you know, that when I was lying there thinking I was dying, uh, that was, you know, on the one hand, that was one of the things that I had to give up. That that was really important to me because I had, you know, I had put a lot of work into this, and I, and yeah. I, it, it really meant something to me. And so I, uh, I felt like. Uh, when I, you know, when I, when I when I was lying, think I thinking this was the last ten minutes of my life. Yeah. You know, I had to give up everything. I had to give up like what I was going to do tomorrow morning and yeah. all these other plans that I had. But that's one of the things that I had to give up. So, I, it was hard for me to give up, but I just let I let go of it. Yeah. And then right. when I I didn't die, then uh, you know it was like a new. Uh, I was I was I was given this extra time. Yeah. And that was uh, I in in a way I kind of thought well that's that's the. Uh, you know, one of the things that I, I have this extra time to do is, is to finish the book. And so as soon as I got some energy back, I, 
uh, I jumped into it and uh, finished the book. Well, if we may, let's talk about a bit about your remarkable novel, The Outlaws of Marine. The primary characters in your book are fourth graders, nine and ten years old. Is this targeted as a children's book, or is it written for adults, including those of us at middle age and beyond? Yes, it's it's not a children's book. It's an it's an adult book with uh, with children as the main characters, and the yeah. and the first part of the book takes place uh, maybe the first hundred pages from the point of view of the of the uh, of the fourth graders. But oh. later on, it gets into the adult world more. Yeah, too much. <laughs> it was more pleasant with a kid <laughs> in that era. But uh, no, I can. Uh, where uh, is that? Uh, although this is a novel, your book is intended to deliver a message, uh, which it does most effectively. And what is that message? I know maybe some people would interpret it differently, but uh, it definitely had a message for me. Well, in, in you know, in, in a big sense, is to struggle after your dreams, that to yeah. uh, you know, to uh, you know, to get together with your uh, with your friends or with like-minded people, and to join your forces and to, to and to you know to uh, to go after your dreams, and that you can uh, you know, no matter how impossible they may seem, no matter how how great the odds against you are, uh, you know that just that struggle is worthwhile, and and it, and, it, and it creates who you are. Yeah. Well, you, you, they always say you can take a New Yorker out of New York, but you can't take New York out of the, <laughs> the person. <laughs> and uh, obviously, we don't want to give away the plot and spoil the ending. Uh, but can you summarize uh, the location where the novel takes place and uh, the general circumstances of the time, uh, the McCarthy era, what it was it like? Well, it, it takes place in Upper Manhattan, near the George Washington Bridge, yeah, which is actually where I where year. I grew up. It's, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it's based on uh, in in terms of the setting, it's based on uh, my childhood experience in, yeah. in growing up in that era, and it was a very uh, uh, repressive era, you know, as opposed to a World War II where the country was really unified. Then all of a sudden, uh, at the end of the war, there were. Uh, Things were falling apart, and uh, the the forces in uh, politicians in Washington, for their own uh, political purposes, yeah. had started this very uh, extensive uh, anti-subversive uh, campaign. Yeah, they uh, looked for and, communists under every tree. It seems like. <laughs> and right. Yeah. Exactly. Were. They were looking for they were looking for communists, and, and yeah. communists to them, you know, meant. Uh, uh, it meant many things, but but what, what what they were promoting it as as subversives, as people who were yeah. trying to uh, subvert the uh, um, the society. And yeah, well, it was, in school at that time, it was very it was very uh, chilling. It, it was uh, you know to uh, to to discussion in class. Not only the kids, but the the, the teachers were really afraid to say anything because yeah. uh, people were watching and they. Uh, you know, during during World War II, the Soviet Union was our ally. We were we yeah. were we were together fighting uh, fighting the Nazis, and then all of a sudden, and suddenly they were they were our enemies. enemies. So it was very it was a very confusing time. Yeah. Well, please explain the book's unusual title, "The Outlaws of Maroon." I know the uh, outlaws are the fourth graders that, uh, somewhat between a club and a gang, who organize themselves uh, to fight against the adult world. But what is the maroon? I've never heard of this location. Well, maroon is what they're calling 
it's it's an abandoned farm of one of the main characters of the yeah. owned by the grandfather of one of the main characters. Yeah, where uh, he he had tried to start a farm in the 1930s oh. uh, and failed, and it was back in the sweatshops of New York. Uh, and uh, it um, so Maroon be- became for uh, for the kids uh, this this uh, imaginary place this. Uh, uh, this place, which was kind of the opposite of everything that they were experiencing, which was a very repressive situation, and in their fantasies, it was kind of a utopia. And they're yeah, trying for all to, of us, uh, I think Maroon represents the dream of a better tomorrow, uh, where all the problems of the current challenges disappear. And <laughs> that, that, to me, has a message in the title, but it's really fascinating. And your novel takes place in the early 1950s, an era where only the most senior of our baby boomers will remember, but uh, the era of Howdy Doody, the infamous House Un-American Activities Committee, and the Army McCarthy hearings, and uh, it was a stressful period. And uh, in uh, your novel, The Outlaws of Maroon, is it presently available, and where best should our listeners go to preview and purchase the book? Uh, people can purchase it's available online and and, and in bookstores. Uh, but the e- the easiest thing is just to uh, you know to go to Amazon or to one of the other online booksellers and to uh, and to uh, purchase it there. That's where. Uh, but it's uh, you know it's definitely uh, definitely out there and it's uh, there's there's also an audio book of it and yeah. and, uh, oh. uh, and and an ebook on Kindle and uh, whatever uh, you know what, whatever. Your preferences for uh, for uh, for uh, enjoying fiction, you can you can find it out there. Where on our uh, on the web can our listeners go to learn more about you and preview your prior books? And uh, do you have a web address they can go to? Yes, it's just my name, basically johncurl.net, J-O-H-N-C-U-R-L.net, and uh, it, it, there's a lot on uh, on my website about the book and about myself and about uh, other books. Well, I won't spoil the plot by telling uh, <laughs> the listeners whether the kids ever make it to Maroon or not, but uh, it's, you'll have to read the book to find out. But it's really, uh, as we kick off a new year, I trust that unlike John Curl, none of you will need to go through a near-death experience to realize that you have a lot more to live for, uh, as we like to call it in our program, quit sleepwalking through life. And whether you are just turning 40 or 63 and contemplating retirement, uh, you are retiring from your current career, not from life. And middle age definitely is not uh, a point of no return to mourn over what used to be and to conclude the best is all behind you. And regardless of immediate circumstances, like the kids uh, decided, the future is up to you. And I trust that you will gain insight from John Curl's The Outlaws of Maroon. And not only does the book offer a page-turning good time, uh, like John's near-death experience, his book may inspire you to live the remainder of your life out loud, just like the kids did. And before we go, I'd like to share one uh, trivia about the Howdy Doody show, which is mentioned in the book. In fact, one of the kids had appeared in the peanut gallery but then got kicked out. <laughs> you may recall that the show, one of the show's major characters, Clarabelle the Clown, 
could not speak and communicated only by honking a horn tied around his waist to attract attention. Well, guess what? The original actor who uh, portrayed Clarabelle, Bob Keeshan, somehow found his voice and for many years thereafter was Captain Kangaroo on the Daily Network Kids show of the same name. And how do I know that? Well, for several years in the early 1980s, I worked in the same department of a Fortune 500 company with Bob's daughter-in-law, Lynn Keeshan. Now, there's a coincidence I'm certain you just had to know. And John Curl, thanks a million for inspiring us today with your near-death story. Thank you so much, Roy, for having me. I've really enjoyed it. And I previewed your novel, The Outlaws of Maroon, and I highly recommend our listeners continue and consider adding it to their New Year's reading list. And to all of you out there, a most joyful and productive New Year. And may all of you arrive at your very own maroon. And may your maroon, your dream, turn out to be all you envisioned it to be and more. And bye for now. From Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age. You've been listening to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age, hosted by Roy Richards, an expert on midlife renewal and author of both A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, and Wake Up, Captain and Crew, Restart Your Engines. You can learn more about Roy and his Middle Age Renewal Training System by visiting his website, middleagerenewal.com. 